Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hi everyone, I am very excited to have Tamar Shahin on our, as our guest today. You are going to be intrigued and blown away by his story, which... He shared with me um, a week or so ago, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be awesome for our podcast. So Tama is a serial entrepreneur and investor. He's going to do his own introduction in a moment, but I can't wait to get started, to be honest. Let's get stuck in. Please introduce yourself, Tama, and thank you very much uh, for being a guest on our podcast today. Really appreciate you giving some time. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm honored and privileged to be here, hopefully sharing some of my story. Um, Yes, so as you quite rightly said, I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I didn't quite start out that way, um, which which is interesting. And it's going to make a lot of sense as we go into the reason why certain things have happened and and where we are today. So I actually started out initially as a a lecturer at University, King's College in London. um, And I was always passionate about the education system. I was always passionate about, I was an engineer, but I was looking at it from an education point of view, I thought that we lived in a world that has sort of gone way past the industrial revolution, yet our education system still stems from that. It's, it started back in the industrial revolution to actually graduate factory workers. Um, but we've moved, moved on. Our education system hasn't. So I thought, let me go in and try and fix it couldn't fix it from the universities because it was the larger organizations that were basically saying, hey, these are the kind of graduates we want. So we were still dishing out basically employees. I moved into government after that. I had a, a project that I was working with them. In At the same time, I was still running several companies on the side. I was always a passionate entrepreneur. I had several businesses on the side that grew to seven figures. Some of them didn't work out, but some of them did. Um, and I moved to government in the UAE, heading up a $2 billion productivity program, national productivity program, where we were funding businesses to grow um, and become more productive. So we were covering all the sectors in there. And I was working directly with uh, the ministers uh, and basically trying to see what worked and what didn't. So we had a look at best practices, worst practices, what people were doing and how to really grow businesses and get them to be their most productive. And At the same time, I was investing in other companies and there was this one company that I had invested in that I thought, hey, this is a really good company. Um, It's got a lot of potential. It was in the space of digital health. My own passion was technology and and, and engineering. So I thought I want to leave this. So I left behind a job that was earning me mid six figure salary um, tax free. And everyone said I was crazy because I went into this tiny company that had four people inside it. But I, like I said, I'd run several companies before. And as we went into that company, we went from four people down to two. But in the space of 18 months, we'd grown it to a $100 million uh, business. And we were one of the sort of global influencers in the space uh, of digital health. And there's a big but that's coming. So up until that point, everything was fantastic. 
everything was great. I had an amazing lifestyle. I had the dream life, the villas, the Ferraris, the everything. And, and you know, you, you're going to say there's a big but. So within the space of 30 days, I came back home from the, the US. I came back from the US on a trip to Dubai and my house had completely flooded. And that was the start of everything basically going wrong. My house had completely flooded. The top floor had leaked and it just collapsed onto the ground floor. All of the furniture was destroyed, everything. So I moved into a hotel and we were in the middle of delivering an eight-figure project to a really large and strong client. Uh, we'd now have had three branches across the world. We had about 140 people employed um, and the company was doing really well. And we were just getting another round of investment coming in um, at the $100 million mark. And we delivered that project it was received very well by the client. It was published in the newspapers that it was a very successful project. And three days later, they came back and they said to us, we've changed our administration and we're not honoring any past contracts. So we're not going to pay you. And we were absolutely just devastated because we had gone all in. Mistake, by the way. We'll talk about mistakes later on. We had gone all in trusting this large, strong client that we knew had the capability to pay for this amount of money. So we had hired out subcontractors to deliver on the projects. We promised them that we would pay them when we got paid. Um, and we have just had a party and celebrating. And I had these employees talking to me saying, hey, you know, we believe in this mission. And it's more than a job to me. And I was just saying to them, you know, it's only going to get better. And seven days later, I had to sit there and tell everyone that I had to let them go because we couldn't afford to pay anybody else. We had a lot of people asking us to pay them money and it was devastating. And then my business partner was flying from Dubai back to London to um, be with his wife because they were having their third baby. And he was only going for a few days and coming back. And he called me middle of the night from the airport. Um, and he said, Tama, can you come and help me? I've just been arrested at the airport. And I said, why? And he said, apparently some of the subcontractors that we had signed checks to have filed a case against me um, and against him, uh, just to be clear. So he was the one who'd signed those checks. And in Dubai, the way that you run business is that instead of promising people that you're going to pay them, you sign a, a post-dated check with a given date, with a given amount, and that's how you do business there. But if the check bounces, then the person who signs the check is personally and criminally liable to that check. Not, even if you're an employee, if you sign the check, and even if you're a limited liability company, the person himself is personally responsible. And that's the law. And that's why they run business that way, because they know that if you're going to sign this check, you're going to find a way to pay it. Um, so I went to the prison that he'd been sort of moved to. We realized that he had um, been arrested. There was several of the subcontractors had filed cases against him and he wasn't allowed to leave the country, but also he was put in prison. I had to find a way to bail him out over the next coming couple of days so that we can then negotiate with the subcontractors on how to sort of basically get him out of prison and get him out of the country. He didn't have financial resources, so I had to end up selling everything. We fired everybody except for two people because we thought we could still rescue this company. So the people that were sitting there telling me, we believe in you, and I was telling them it's going to get better. I had to sit there in front of them and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. And I still remember it until this day. One of them was saying, I believed in you. I moved my life for you. She'd moved from a different continent to go and work with us and for us. And I, I was just devastated. It was really bad. So I had to call my partner's wife to basically tell her that he can't come for 
the birth of their third child. And the first time I said, he, he, you know, this has happened. I don't know what's happening. He's been arrested. I'm going to try and help him and come and sort of bail you. And she said, okay, can I speak to him uh, when you get there? So I went there the next morning um, where they said we can come, go and visit him. And when I went to visit him, he was behind this cell that had a glass that was about, I don't know, ridiculous inches deep that you couldn't even hear him. Um, he didn't have his, he just had a shirt and trousers and his belt was taken off and he had loose trousers and they were falling off. And it was just a horrendous sight. And I couldn't talk to him except through a, a tiny phone, uh, which I then put down. His wife then tried to call me because she knew I was going to, to prison to, so she can speak to him. And I couldn't get her on the phone to speak to him. And I had to answer her. And the whole incident at that time, just the whole event just got to me. I was trying to be strong for everyone. I was trying to, you know, say, we're going to get you out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to get through this. And I picked up the phone and I just burst into tears speaking to her. And I said, I'm sorry, it's my fault. I can't bring you. I can't. He's not coming home. I'm going to try and get him out. And ironically, she was the one who was sitting there consoling me. She said, don't worry, I trust you. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where I, was, I said, I'm supposed to be consoling you. And she said, I trust you. And I soon started to learn who my true friends were because the people that had been around me who had said we, they are our best friends and we're doing amazing things, the minute the money disappeared, they disappeared. And the minute that people that didn't think were quite your friends stood up there and, and, and actually acted when, 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 they, when you needed them the most. I, I ended up selling everything I had, everything I had. And my, had, I had to have my parents in London, in the UK, remortgage their property out of retirement so that I can pay for some of the negotiations we were doing with the subcontractors so that we can pay them. So I ended up being from owning a $100 million company to being £2 million personally in pocket in debt, rather than this is not attached to the company. This was me personally now liable for two million pounds worth of money. Yet we still thought, let's see if we can rescue this business. Um, I had these two employees remaining and in order to pay them a salary, I had sold everything except my car. I had this last car that I was keeping and I was staying in a, in a place with now my, my, my business partner uh, in a room where we were, he broke into so after i bailed him out he broke into we broke into his son's uh, piggy bank and started collecting coins to see how much money we had for food so that we can survive over the coming days so it had got ridiculously bad where we were just having an amazing lifestyle to nothing so i went to sell this car to a dealer so that i can pay the salary to my employees um, for an extra month and as i stood there in front of him the car just burst into flames the engine just went on fire and it had happened because I had taken the car before I went to the US. I had taken the car to a service whilst I was in the US. And when I came back, the service people had forgotten to connect a hose. And in a hot country like Dubai, and the engine was running in the middle of the afternoon in front of the dealer, it just overheated and it just burst into flames. And it was just, if, if you want a metaphor for how bad things were, it was just everything was going wrong. It, you could not make this stuff up. Every single thing was just going wrong. I lost my house, it flooded, I lost my cars, I lost my everything. And I even got my parents to go out of retirement and get them in personally in debt. And then it was just crazy. I came back to the UK, I got him out of the country, thankfully. We closed down the company, it didn't survive. And I came back here and I kicked into auto cruise, like, you know, cruise control. What I know what to do best. I started up another tech company, got 
in, in digital health, got invested, uh, got funding. We got an innovation award. We did really well. I was able to pay back all my debt again, personally, um, which was fantastic. Things were going great. I gave a TEDx talk, um, but I was absolutely miserable, absolutely miserable. I was still hiding like a hermit from people because I had assumed that a lot of people were still calling me a thief because I hadn't paid everyone. When the business, we negotiated what we could pay to get him out of the country and close down the company, but we weren't able to pay everybody, of course. So there were a lot of people that still thought I had sort of scammed them, even though I was trying to tell them we did not get paid. We can't, we could not afford it. But anyway, so I had been completely miserable. I went into hiding. Um, and then I was sitting down talking to a really good friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a long time. This friend had actually early on when this whole thing was happening, he, he's not very rich. He doesn't have a lot of money. He went and got, he collected from different parts of bank accounts he had around about a thousand pounds. And he gave it to me that when I came back from the UK uh, to the UK and he gave it to me and, and I said, I'll, I'll give it back to you. He said, no, just buy me dinner one day. And that's why I'm saying, you know, your true friends when, when things like this happen, whereas other people were telling me, you know, pay up and get out of this industry. You've burnt yourself here and who were apparently my best friends at the time before that. But anyway, I digress. So I was talking to him again and he was saying, why are you still miserable? You, you, you've paid everything off. You're doing really well in your new company. You've, you've given a TEDx talk. Everyone's great. What's wrong? And I said, well, I still feel guilty. I, I, had, I feel guilty about all of these people that I'd hurt. Um, and you know, I felt responsible for them. And he said to me, well, how is that person? And I said, well, actually, he's okay. And he said, well, how is this person? And I said, well, they're okay. And he said, well, how's that person? I said, well, actually, he's okay. And he said, how's your business partner who actually went into prison? I said, well, he's not great, but he's got a job here in the UK and he's working fine. He's happy. His family's happy. He's with his family. He's doing well. And he said, so what's your problem? And it only hit me at that point is that I had never actually learned how to deal with failure. I had never failed so big in my life. Everything had gone really well for me. I was one of those people that went into university when I was 15 because I was jumped up years and it was, everything was going really well. And I had not been trained or prepared to fail. And because I'd failed so massively, I just had felt responsible for everyone. I had felt miserable that I had failed and I couldn't, you know, face people. What are people going to say when you, when they know you failed, they're going to think you're an awful person. And we grow up in a society where, you know, we are taught and conditioned to fear failure. Don't fail right from our education system. If you fail your exam, you're not going to do well. Don't fail this. Don't fail that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, if you fail, you're not going to get into a good university. If you don't get into a good university, you're not going to get a good job. If you don't do well in your job, you're going to get fired. And we sit there in a society and a culture that has prepared us to fear failure. And I had failed and I was not prepared for it and I hadn't been prepared for it. And he then said to me something like uh, very, very it stuck to me in, until today. He said, responsible. You said you feel responsible for these people. And I said, yes. And he said, responsible is not to carry their burden. Responsible is to be response able. You are able to respond to other people to help them and facilitate for them to carry their own burdens and actually get them to do what they need to do to be able to do that. And he said, you don't, you shouldn't feel guilty for everyone. They're all doing great. They're doing much better than you. So then it was one of those pivotal moments in my life where I just went back I actually took a flight and went into a, um, a, a different country and I had a, almost like a personal retreat. And I spent three days in a hotel, just sitting down, rewriting out my narrative. 
I went back and revisited everything that had happened. And I said to myself, okay, how are these people doing? They're doing well. Actually, you're not doing too badly yourself. You, if you had not failed and come back to the UK, you would have not met your wife, who is an amazing person who has been so supportive. I met her during that entire time where everything had gone wrong and I came come back. And she has stuck with me ever since. I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I, if you gave me the choice to go back and succeed and not meet my wife, I wouldn't have done it. And it was one of those things where I started saying, actually, it's okay to fail. It's okay. You know, we don't live in a perfect world. Why are we putting these impossible standards to ourselves? Because the world is not perfect. Yet we sit there trying to make it perfect and pretend that it's going to be right every single time. And when I was growing my businesses at the time, I was looking for coaches and help to be able to sit there and support me. I picked up the, you know, I hired some of the best coaches in the world with big names, and I'm not going to say who they are, but some of them had never run a business in their lives. And they were there to say, you know, we're here to, to, to give you clarification and make you accountable. But yes, but sometimes I need some advice. What do you think I should do? You know, and they say, well, what do you think you should do? And I, I, I don't know, damn it, tell me. <laughs> and, and I got to this position where I said, you know, at the time, I didn't have that support. If I had had people to say to me, it's okay to fail, growing a business is not easy. And yet, when you look at social media and you look at all of these, in, you know, air quotes, gurus, where they tell you, you can become rich overnight, or you can, you know, try this three-step process. It doesn't work that way in the real world. We have to embrace failure because that's how we grow. That's how we learn. If you're not failing and if you're not making mistakes, you're not growing. You're exactly where you are. And as you begin to understand that business is about embracing failure, we need to integrate failure into our business so that we can then say, actually, can we survive with this failure? Because failures are going to happen and mistakes are going to happen and things will go wrong. But are you able to survive? Because if you survive enough failures and enough mistakes, that's when you will be able to actually say, this is what works for my business, for this given market, in this given climate, with this given sort of demographic. Because there are so many variables to get right. And the ones that the businesses that really grow and the businesses that really last and endure are the ones that have endured times of trouble and struggle and failures and mistakes and optimized and got a feedback system in there so that they can learn how to grow their business and they can learn how to really, what really makes a business grow and thrive. So I, 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 I sort of put it on myself where I, I handed over the other business to another person um, and I sold myself out of the business and I said, I'm going to start a business to support business owners to really understand how to grow their business in the right way with embracing failure. We're not going to sit here and pretend that things always go right. Things go wrong. But how do you integrate that? And how do you actually understand how to become the CEO of your own business? Because we're not taught that at school. We're taught to be followers, not leaders. We're taught not to take risk. We're taught to fear failure. And that goes at the exact opposite sort of direction of what it takes to actually run a business. And that's why, no wonder, because it was built back in the industrial revolution. So that's why I, I circle back at this now, because when I looked at the way I've looked at growing businesses, I saw that I've, and, and it humbles me and it humbles me to have been in such a position where I've seen growing businesses from entirely different perspectives, from someone who's had an education background, from someone who's actually funded businesses, invested in businesses, seen businesses, you know, worst case, you know, from someone who's grown startups himself to great levels and also failed massively, catastrophically. 
Um, and that unique perspective is not something, something that everyone gets to, to have. Most people will have a look at business from one perspective or two or three at the most. Um, so I thought, let me start up CEO Entrepreneur, which is what we've done now. And we want to be able to help small business owners really understand how to grow their business the right way without losing their sanity. Um, yeah. How's that for an introduction? Well, I think <laughs> that's uh, in, an incredible introduction and an exceptional story. And everyone who's listening, can you appreciate why I wanted to have uh, Tama here and share his experience with us? Because if any of you are facing challenges right now, I would hazard a guess that they are nothing compared to the challenge, the business challenge, and all of those things going wrong from you for you. Tama, what do you think you had to learn that lesson to go hard through way. that? <clears throat> yeah, the hard way. Yes. I think, I think even if someone had told me early on that you need to embrace failure, maybe that would have made things a bit better because I didn't have that. No, no one had actually told me that. But because no one had told me that I had to go through it the hard way. And that's what I don't want to happen for other people is by having a lot of my experience and a lot of the mistakes that I've done. And a lot of these things where I can say to people, don't do that. That might, that will save you three years of your life and thousands of like pounds and of expenses and cost and misery. I tried that. It didn't work. This is the right way to do it. But we also need to understand that there are no two business owners that are alike. And there are no two businesses that are alike. Everyone has a different business. So trying to think that we've got this trademarked cookie cutter five-step process that's going to grow everyone's business just doesn't work. You need to have the right frameworks. You need to have the right understanding of what it takes to grow a business, but then you have to adapt it to what you want out of your business. Some people want to grow their business to pass it down to family. Some people want to grow their businesses so that they can have a flexible work-life balance. Some people grow their businesses so that they can have an IPO. Some people grow it to sell it. And every single one of those business businesses, the strategies and the frameworks you need to adopt and implement inside your business are completely different. So yes, I did need to learn it because it was such a hard lesson and it was such a wake up call to me because even though I'd always thought that the education system was stuck in the dark ages, I didn't realize how much it had an impact even on me because I grew up in a culture where my family as well as great as they are and they love them to bits they were afraid of you know don't, don't hang out your dirty laundry in front of people what are they going to say of you we need to maintain our you know standing in, in in society and in front of the people that we know and that's not how the real world works and then when you when you when you don't talk about this stuff and when you don't train people and you actually train them and condition them to fear failure then you set them up for such huge disasters where even a small failure in the grand scheme of things is a big, big step back in, in, you know, it really sort of takes you back and it takes a lot of people, a lot of strength to come back and put themselves back on their feet so that they can carry on. And I'm not saying I'm perfect because I hid like a hermit for a couple of years. So I'm not saying that this is something that, you know, I, I learned, you know, and I got up the next day and it was amazing. You know, I changed my life. It didn't, but I think I had to go through that to fully understand it. But what I'm trying to do now is to get this message out as much as possible so that people begin to see the way they run their businesses from a different perspective and hopefully then not fall into the same traps as we go along, but also to, to embrace failure and to integrate failure as part of their growth process. 
because it will happen. It's, it's, are you going to be prepared for when it happens? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's part and, of the territory, isn't it, of growing a it business? Is. Yeah, it is. It, it happens. And it's such a valid point that we should be prepared for it and understand that it's going to hit us at some point and we should embrace it. What, what practical steps would you say and do you share with people that work with you and, and come to you for your training? What, do you, what practical steps would you give them about getting ready and accepting failure? Well, it's interesting you say that because, yes, I do, I do share with them. I, I actually started a year ago um, a YouTube channel for want of a sort of like cliche. Um, so which has done amazingly well in the last year. We thought it would be a five-year strategy for us to grow this channel, um, for it to start generating any kind of leads or, or, or income. It was for getting out the message more than it was really trying to grow the channel. Um, but we've, a year later now, 12 months on, 13 months on almost, um, we've hit 2,000 subscribers and we've got several videos that are over 9,000 views. Um, and YouTube is beginning to show it to other people. And in there, I do talk about ways of being able to embrace failure. There's actually a specific masterclass on, on the YouTube channel. I didn't want to put a masterclass behind an email wall because I think the message is that important to get out in, into the open. So we do talk about steps on what you can do to embrace and to create failure as part of an overall strategy of running your business. And one of the things is to be able to embrace split testing inside your business, not just for marketing, because a lot of people do split testing for landing pages and things like that. But we should split test everything we do, including the business model, including the business model, including the, the pricing strategy, including the product strategy. You say, right, actually, I've got this one thing. Let me test a small one variation to that. And if it fails, it's fine. So when I'm trying to sort of make decisions inside my business, I always ask myself, right, okay, what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? And what's the probable scenario? Okay, if the worst case scenario, am I able to survive that? Is that okay for me? Do we have enough cash flow to be able to survive that? Do we have the ability to, to, to pick ourselves up from that? If that's the case, and if the probable case and the, and the sort of best case scenario are worth that risk, then we go and try it and we test it out. And we are expecting that eight times out of, 10, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. But by continually testing, you're going to find the one or two out of 10 that always actually become better. And you're then continuously optimizing and optimizing. So taking these steps where you're saying, this is not just sort of like, you know, conceptual talk where it's like, yes, embrace failure into business. No, actually integrate it as part of your framework. Put it in there where you know that you're going to, to, to test things and you're going to actually make mistakes. But from those mistakes, you're going to find the few that work and then turn those into a process. What doesn't work, throw away what works, turn it into a process. And as you're continuously optimizing and developing your business, once you've got your right processes in place where they're completely optimized, given the market conditions that you're having, and even as the market changes, one of the biggest questions I had over the last year was, what do we do during, you know, over the last year and a half to two years now is, do we pivot to COVID, you know, because of COVID? Now, COVID is almost over. Do we have to pivot back again? And my answer is always the same. You're always continuously testing in a dynamic market. If you're sitting there thinking that you're going to have this one static thing that's always going to work throughout all of time, it's not. We live in a completely dynamic market and continuously testing and understanding that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to fail, but it's within a controlled environment that you're controlling rather than having that be away from your control. It's taking back that control. And it's basically saying, right, if I'm in control of this whole experiment of a business, how can I survive this long enough 
to make sure that I know what are the factors that really make this business grow. And once you get those elements, then you can scale. And that's what we talk to people a lot about. And it's working tremendously. It's working fantastically for everyone that we talk to. And we actually help. We'll put a link to your YouTube channel in the show notes. I highly recommend that listeners go and have a listen and a watch of your videos um, because they really are really are good. And thank you for the tips and ideas that you've shared on that. Do you think this approach of testing and being dynamic in response applies to leadership? Yes, absolutely. It, it applies as, as a person who is a small business owner. I usually say that, you know, you need to start thinking of yourself as the CEO of your business because we get taught at um, schools and education, we get taught to be the technicians. We get taught to be the people that actually does the work, not the people that runs the business. And there are two elements right early on of being able to actually grow your business. And one of them is being able to be the leader, be the CEO of your business. And being the CEO of your business, you need to be able to say, A, integrate failure and mistakes, you're going to hire people that don't work and you're going to make decisions that don't always work. So if you're sitting there trying to say that I'm going to get it right all of the time, it's not going to happen. And then when it does, it has a much bigger impact on you because you haven't actually factored that particular failure in inside the decision that you're making. But also to create that environment where it's okay to fail, even within your team as a leader and as you're talking to people, it encourages a lot more innovation it encourages a lot more transparency and communication because people aren't sitting there afraid that they're going to lose their job. Uh, and, and, and then that creates a much, much better environment where people are really collaborating and not afraid to throw out crazy ideas. And that's when businesses really thrive. It's when they're at their most innovative, when the, the one in a thousand idea of some, you know, 999 were completely ridiculous, but that one idea makes a lot of sense. As a leader, you should be looking out for that one idea. But to get that one idea, you need to be listening to a lot of failures that happen inside the business. Again, the balance here is to, is to make sure that these failures are in a controlled manner so that you can still survive them. Yes. And it's that balance that really makes a difference. And I think I would suggest and add to that, great to get your view on it, is that you have to have an environment where you really do encourage those ideas to come through. And that's about having the culture that allows it, where people are able to speak their mind, where they are, they won't feel that if they've come up with a crazy idea that it gets rubbish. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's that that's a hundred percent agree with you. And, and that's part of how we we set up our own business inside CEO Entrepreneur and help other businesses set up the same same culture. Part of your job as the CEO of your business is to set the right culture and in the, in, in, in the right environment inside the business and what you're going to allow and what you're not going to allow and creating that, fostering that sort of really amazing working environment that people, A, want to come and work and B, are not afraid to make mistakes and, and you know, make suggestions and come up with crazy ideas and B, inspire them. It really does because even... Even though I, I spoke about that whole entire sort of catastrophe of a failure, if you would have noticed, even at that point, I had that one employee tell me it was like she'd moved my, her life for me, uh, you know, for the business. And she thought of it much more than, you know, she thought of it as a mission in her life rather than it was just a, a, a simple job. And that's the culture and that's the environment you want to sort of make sure that you're really fostering inside the business. And that's only going to come by when you give people the license to be themselves and not be afraid to, if I say this idea here, 
you know, A, they might think I'm stupid or B, if I make this idea and it gets ex executed and it's wrong, then I lose my job. And you're forever, I've seen a lot of businesses and a lot of larger organizations where people are just paralyzed by fearing that they're going to lose their job. And they're yeah. paralyzed by doing anything that's actually valuable. So um, they end up doing the mundane and the mundane is boring and it doesn't move a business forward. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really fascinated to get a little bit behind your mindset. So now correct me if I've got this wrong, you know, at university age 15 and growing a business to 110 million and having other businesses as well. I guess you had experienced nothing but success up to that point. Yes. Um, and that was why having, so I, I think I don't do thing in, things in half. <laughs> so when I failed, I failed like ridiculously catastrophically. And I think that up until that point, I hadn't really failed. Not once. I mean, there were several other businesses that worked. Um, uh, so when I was growing some businesses on the side and some businesses that I was investing in, some of them worked, some of them didn't, but it was never something that I'd bought into to say that this is something that I'm going to do, that I'm going to, you know, it, it's my responsibility. So when I have certain other side businesses that didn't pan out, for me, it wasn't such a, it was like, okay, that didn't work. Let me try something else. It still was there. Uh, in terms of me being able to to grow a business and accept that there's a certain level of risk. But that failure there from a mindset perspective was completely different. And it's sometimes hard to differentiate when I'm trying to explain it, but it was different because it was something that I had invested my responsibility in being responsible for all those people. I didn't really care so much about losing all of the money. And I know it sounds like, you know, cliched, but when I actually lost all of the, the material things that I had, all the cars and all the, I didn't miss them. I didn't miss them at all. I actually thought it was better because I began to really see who the true friends were. But it was that responsibility and that understanding of failing people that had really put their trust in me. And that I had never done that. I, that was the first time I'd done that. So even though I had things were quite easy for me and, and, and maybe I had sometimes become complacent because of that, because yes, I went into university very young and I sort of like moved in and everything. I, I've never interviewed for a job. I've always been headhunted. So it was like up until that point. So it was one of those things where everything was laid to me on a, on a plate and the education system didn't help me prepare for the other side of things. And then when it all sort of, sort of came into one thing, it was just a, a, the perfect storm, I guess, if you want to call it that way. And how has that changed you? 180. It's a good question because I haven't thought about it in that specific manner, but yes, it's changed. So in the past, I was always, we should not fail. We, you know, getting this wrong is, you know, it needs to be perfect. We were there looking for excellence and quality and everything must be perfect, right? We cannot even ship until everything is 100%. And I don't have that anymore. And actually the businesses grow better because of that, because of the fact that we're actually, you know, making mistakes and shipping things out that are not. I mean, when you look at Apple, the first iPhone didn't even have cut and copy and paste. It, it, you know, it, and I think they, it was Steve Jobs or somebody else who said, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, <laughs> then you're probably, you've released it too late. And I think that when you begin to see all of what these other huge, amazingly successful entrepreneurs and business owners have done, it's always about actually keeping things simple, failing, 
failing fast, but moving on and making sure that you can survive through those failures. And that's changed the way that I look at everything. It's changed the way that I look at even running a business. So up until that business, it was all about, you know, getting investment, maybe having an IPO, maybe being able to sell this business and all of that kind of glamour that comes with it. Whereas now it's more about how do I spend time with my family the most? How do I generate a business that's completely flexible? So even though we've got 12 people in our team, everyone works remotely. Everyone has flexible working hours. Um, and my aspirations now is in 2023, so not next year, because I'm still scaling this business. Um, we want to build our ha- house like in a, you know, the grand designs where you watch them and that's and be able to sort of settle in and just... So yes, it's completely changed my view on life. And the passion for me to be able to go and pass that message on to people is, is very much a mission that I have now that I'm really, I really strongly believe in because I don't think, even though we've got a ridiculously saturated market of all of these coaches and business gurus and things like that, I don't think people are talking about this in the way it should be. It's okay. It's not all about glamour. It's okay to get things wrong. Money and growing a business isn't always glamorous and it isn't always going to be the best solution for you. And how you run and grow it is going to be different depending on how you scale your business and what you want out of your business. So the way that I'm growing this business is completely different to how I grew the other business, which went to $100 million, because the idea and the strategy behind what we were trying to do to get the value of the company up is completely different to what I want to do out of this business now, which is to provide support for every single business entrepreneur to really inspire and guide them to grow their businesses so that they can build the life they desire. And that drives everything inside the mindset that I have, as well as the business that we run. So that even if we have group programs, they're still very much personalized because we know that every business owner is different and every business owner wants a different thing. So having yet another generic group program will never work. And it can't be something that we, 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 we sort of believe in inside the business. So it, it drives every single aspect of my life, as well as how we're running the company. It's completely changed me. Well, there's some very strong messages in all of that, Tama. And, and the ones that spring to mind for me from the fascinating um, insights that you've shared with us is work. If you're going to choose a coach to work with somebody who's got the experience, has been through failure, who is authentic, who is real, and isn't that person that just says, oh, what do you think you should do? I mean, you know, you actually want somebody who's prepared to share their knowledge and share their experience and be authentic. And that's a strong word that always comes out on the podcast. You haven't used that word, but I know that's what you're saying in all of this. It's be true to you and share that and, you know, help others by being authentic. Not everybody is going to like what you say. Not everybody will like what I say, but it's being true to you. And the other thing I think comes out, it's around getting things out there and they may not be perfect. And I guess that's something I've had to, uh, I've had to learn as well. You know, it hasn't got to be perfect as long as you commit to regularly updating it and reshaping it and redefining it. It's really hard though, isn't it? It is. It's really hard. It's really hard. So, you know, I'm not saying that we're perfect. So even, (laughs) even till today, there are times where I'm saying, really? really no you know can we just like make it a little bit better but but actually it's not it testing it and putting it out early in the market and getting that feedback is much more valuable than you sitting there trying to come up with an idea yourself that you think is perfect that actually nobody really cares about no cares yeah exactly well I'll own that when I come to do my next video and then think it's not quite right and I need to do another retake and another retake and another retake 
hey, don't waste my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all perfectionists at, at heart, but we, you know, I think trying to. I used to be a perfectionist, and I and I still struggle with that even to today. And that's why I think it's important to talk about that because I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've got it all figured out yet. I've, I'm saying that we've, I've gone through a lot and I can share a lot of that experience, but even until today, yes, trying to be a perfectionist is still inbred inside me, but I, I, I have tools and methods and things and team members and stuff like that, that actually call me, you know, make me accountable to, to a lot of that. So I have team members where now we've created a structure within, a, within the company where we call it a people map. But actually, in some cases, it's flat where I have someone actually leading me when I'm recording the videos for my YouTube. I'm not in charge of that. I've given that responsibility to someone else so they can say, hey, Tamar, that's good enough. We don't want anything more. Stop. Um, and, and we need to start understanding what our strengths and weaknesses are and build a framework around that. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it's an ongoing learning, isn't it? I think that's the key another key message ongoing learning and not letting that hold us back the day Having we an stop open learning mind. is the day we no longer exist and i think that that's uh, so i think we should make the most of it yes continuously learn and and, it, and it's and that works throughout growing your business or throughout your life as well yeah. um it's like i said it's changed the way that i look at life my own personal life as well and it, it's it's been humbling uh, and and i'm humbled to have gone through all of that Whereas now I look back at it and as I've started, as I went and I sat down and rewrote that narrative. And if, and if you're listening, uh, just to speak a, a little bit directly, um, if you're listening and you're going through a difficult time or you've gone through a difficult time, go back and revisit it from different perspectives and different way that people look at things. When a certain, I'll give you a very quick example. When a certain thing goes wrong and you think it's really bad, and you look at something like two years like two years later and you look back at it, typically you end up laughing at it. And you say, oh, yeah, that was such a disaster at the time. It was horrible and you're laughing at it. The, the event has not changed. It's the perspective of how you're looking at that event. So go back to the events of what's going on or what has happened and rewrite that narrative from a different perspective and you'll see it in a completely different light. Uh, such a great way to um, look at it, Tama. And I also think... There's always a good in every disaster. We can't see it at the time, but something positive always comes out of it. And as you said, you met your wife. I did. I did. So there's always something positive in it somewhere. It is. It is. And I wouldn't change it. Like I said at the beginning, I wouldn't change it again for the world. Well, as we come to the close of this episode, thank you so much. Is there something you would like to, to share with our audience? You've shared so much already. Is there anything in particular that you would like to, to share with them? Yes, I think uh, you've already mentioned, um, thank, thank you very much to go and uh, have a look at the YouTube channel. It's growing and there's a lot of value on there that we're trying to sort of get the message out on how to grow your company. But also if you're struggling at the moment with the business, uh, we do have a free business triage. It takes It's a quiz which takes about five minutes. It's super smart. It's free of charge no strings attached. We don't ask you to do anything. There are no upsells. There's nothing there. You literally go onto the website, take the quiz. And what it will do is it will ask you a set of questions about your business and it will diagnose for you what the biggest hurdle is at the moment for your business is and what you need to fix. And then it will send you a completely customized um, uh, report that's generated on the fly to you. And it will break down every part of your business 
and how you're well you're doing and give you tips on how to take your business to that next level. So if you're struggling at the moment in the business and you're trying to wonder what it is that you need to focus on, that's what I would recommend people to do. Okay, and you'll give me the link for that and I can put it in the show notes. Yes, yes. I'll happy, happily do that. Tama, thank you so much. What a wonderful, amazing story. And thank you so much for sharing your experiences and incre- they are incredible. I wish you every success going forward. Thank you. I I really enjoyed my time and the conversation I had with you today. and, And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen, rjen.co.uk website.